High School Slumber Party is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Welcome, cheerleaders, goths, jocks, and everyone returning from the first film. This is High School Slumber Party, the podcast where we and some friends look back at our teenage years through the lens of some iconic high school-centric films. I'm Brian Rodriguez, and the party's at my place this evening. But first, school is still in session, and we have some homework to chat about. This was your assignment, and I would like to see the results... So our junior year has been super fun so far. Back to school, enjoying it. I hope you're enjoying it as well. But we've done some classics. Monday, we did Say Anything. That's right, Say Anything. The Cameron Crowe classic. And of course, we had a classic guest, Kate Hudson. We've done a bunch of Cameron Crowe films now. You want to check them all out. Like them or hate them. I think they're all good episodes. Almost famous. Fast Times at Ridgemont High. But yeah, specifically, check out Say Anything. That's an awesome episode, and you can check that out wherever you get your podcast. Where are you listening now? Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts. We're going to add one more soon once I get the time, but trust me, you can find it. And if you can't find it there, you can always find our archive at cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Important homework assignment. Catch up on High School Slumber Party, as always. And of course, the weekly assignment always is two, or bi-weekly, as we are bi-weekly now, Mondays and Fridays. But the assignment is, wherever you're listening to us, hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. Write us a review if you haven't already. Give us a five-star rating if you haven't already. All that helps the algorithm and helps High School Slumber Party keep its very low price of zero dollars and zero cents. Whew. So now that we have that homework out of the way... How have you been? How's everything going? I hope you did the homework for this week, and that was to watch The Babysitter Killer Queen, or The Babysitter 2. It's on Netflix, and like I said, we were doing classics, a lot of classics for our junior year. But this is not a classic, because it just came out. It's brand new, which is fun to get during these quarantine times. Shout out to my healthcare heroes out there. But... It's interesting because we covered The Babysitter with our guest today, Joey Lewandowski, during our babysitting summer. We did not expect there to be a sequel, and there's a sequel suddenly. So a little extra homework. You probably want to listen to our episode on The Babysitter. That's at our archive at cageclub.me or all the other places I just mentioned. Because we're not going to go into the nitty-gritty of the cast and kind of, you know, a lot of other stuff 
production notes like I like to go into. No, we're just going to jump right into the analysis. And I got to say, we have some interesting takes today. Not to pat ourselves on the back, but it's a good, fun dialogue with the godfather himself, the man who started the Cage Club Podcast Network with Mike Manzi, Joey Lewandowski. Whoa, whoa, whoa. The bell doesn't dismiss you. I dismiss you. Shouldn't you know that by now as upperclassmen? Jeez. I was going to tell you all about these fun little, uh, what do they call it? I don't know. They're having like Zoom read-throughs. There's a name for it, and it's slipping my mind, but there's been a couple lately with some famous actors. I'm going to save it for Monday, though, because that's the bell. It's Friday. I could see you're looking at the back of the class where the door is. I could see you're looking at that clock waiting, waiting to go, you know the bells already rang, you're like, Brian, dismiss us. So we're going to do just that. Pack your favorite jammies, tell your mother you're sleeping over Brian's, because we're about to get our party on. I promised some high school movie news on Monday. Let's take you to our episode with a song. And what other song would it be? Then Queen's Killer Queen. Class dismissed. She keeps them always shunned in a pretty cabinet. Let them eat cake, she says, just like Marie Antoinette. A building a remedy for Chris Job and Kennedy. And at a time of imitation, you can't take Caviar and cigarettes, well-versed in etiquette, extraordinarily nice. She's a killer queen, got body gelatine. She never kept the same address In conversation She spoke just like a baroness Little man from China With time to gain She might have been again Incidentally Exhibit that way You sound extra sultry tonight Well, it's late It's late. <laughs> High school summer party after <laughs> It's been a long day <laughs> So, Joey I thought we might be talking about this sequel. I didn't think it would be this soon, right? Because I think last time we left off, there wasn't a release date, and then suddenly there was a release date. I don't even know if there was a movie. Right? Like, I think we left off like they were going to make it, but apparently they had filmed the entire thing oh, when right. we yeah, talked there, there was trivia that they were like, the whole cast is down for a sequel. We're like, we don't know how that's going to work. And then <laughs> within two weeks of the episode coming out, Netflix was like, hey, not only do we make it, but it's going to be out in three weeks. We're like, oh, Okay. Yeah, that's interesting, you know? <laughs> so I think this episode's going to have a little bit different feel because, I mean, maybe you agree, maybe you disagree. I don't feel like going through <laughs> the cast and crew again. No, that's fine. There's almost no information as well, except the usuals are back. But like you said, there was no like lead up to this at all. There was like not a lot of press. I know it's been COVID and I get all that. But I feel like even less than normal, if that makes sense. Yeah, I did a little bit of digging into the writers and into the, the new actress who plays Phoebe, because like, they're like the new faces and the new behind the scenes, but it kind of came out of nowhere. It's all the same people to a different extent, kind of. And then a couple days before it released, we got a message from Mike Manzi, the resident historian Mike Manzi, the Mikester, my five dads, people might know him, 
on Twitter, <laughs> and he was like, he sent us a link to an article that said that they want to make it into a trilogy, and I was like, what? Oh, okay. And so that was a little bit of a bummer to see. I mean, not Mike's fault, but like a little bit of a bummer to see before we saw this one, because I was like, oh, I guess this isn't going to be really a conclusion, even though it kind of is. It feels like it really is. Like, I know last one seemed like it, but then they left the cliffhanger, right? right? This one, there's a post-credit scene or a mid-credit scene, but it's not the same kind of cliffhanger, No, you know? Yeah, basically, this one resolves in a way that Samara Weaving is like, cool, don't have to do this anymore. Like, she can go on to bigger and better things. Like, it feels like the rest of the world can keep doing this if they want, but she is, you know, she has done her part to forward this on. She's ceremonially passing the torch, I guess. I don't know. And now that we've seen the movie and understand her role in this, that definitely makes sense. But color me confused. But before any of that, Joey, please, we have to do some formalities. Of course. Introduce yourself. Joey Lewandowski... 100 and Central Regional High School class of 2006, Go Red Devils, which feels, again, appropriate for this movie. <laughs> yes, and of course, this is The Babysitter 2, or The Babysitter Killer Queen. Which I was waiting all movie for that song, and they finally, finally drop it, like, with basically 10 minutes left to go in the movie. I was waiting all movie for a lot of things, but we'll get there. But they do drop it at the end. Uh, we Are the Champions was used in the first one, and this, I guess they're going with the Queen motif, so if we get more, we'll probably get some other stuff. The show must go on, perhaps. I'm trying to think of other ones. I don't think Radio Gaga fits. They can't do the Babysitter Bohemian Rhapsody. The Babysitter Fat kind of... Bottom Girls. <laughs> the Babysitter Bicycle Race. It could go on forever. That'd be interesting. This feels like a conversation for the foodie film's man himself, the resident queen expert. Kyle's not really a horror guy, especially like horror like this. But he certainly would appreciate the One Queen song. <laughs> I am very excited. I'm going to tease it here. I don't know when it'll be out, depending on when this is going to come out, probably around the same time, but toward the end of August, he was like, "Can you? hey, you want to be on my show again? I was like, absolutely. Like, let me look through movies and pick one. And I found the movie Raw, the French movie Raw, uh, which is a gruesome horror movie that was so extreme that like people passed out while watching at festivals. <laughs> and I was like, I'll come on if we do this movie. He's like, I, I guess, like, I'll, I'll make my way through it. So I've made Tobin and Island watch Revenge, which is like another gruesome French like a rape revenge horror movie and Eisen still references that like as, you know, I don't know, a low point of the contenders, but not a not a <laughs> highlight for sure. So I like that I'm just infecting people in a way that, that Mike and I have kind of in Kara too have kind of infected you a little bit with the horror bug, but just making these people watch this absolutely grisly French horror content, which I'm trying to figure out I guess there is one, at least one of the ones that I suggested for our your October streak that uh it kind of fits into that too but we'll see what you pick i don't know yeah i got i gotta plan my october just getting through the opening weeks of our junior year first even though this is a horror film i didn't want to wait till october i wanted to talk about it right away yeah, congratulations on being an upperclassman too by the way upperclassman we're, we really have a feel of the school now we're really understanding how things go we could roll right into episodes it's not two hours of prep like it used to be certainly not for this film but <laughs> oh Wait, did you record that episode already with Kyle? No, not yet. I haven't heard back from him since I told him that's the movie that I wanted to do, so I don't know <laughs> if it's still happening or not. I'm looking forward to that because, yeah, I mean, when Kyle's not in his comfort zone, you know. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> He's not a fake it till you make it kind of guy. No. <laughs> okay, so the babysitter, Killer Queen, like we said, very unexpected. Mick G still directing, but you said there's some new writers? Yeah, so the guy who wrote the original movie... His name is Brian Duffield, and he did not write this, but he's an executive producer. And I don't know 
how much influence he did, because I know that executive producer is sometimes a title that they just throw around, like, hey, you helped create this world, you get a credit on this, right? Yeah, like George Lucas gets it all the time exactly. for anything Star Wars. So McGee has a writing credit on this, which he's never written anything other than a show that I've never heard of. There's a guy, Jimmy Warden, who has a writing credit. He has no writing credits anywhere else, but he played, and I quote, the character name of Some Asshole, in the first movie. So he was an <laughs> okay. actor or maybe like an extra or a producer or something who had like a background part in the first movie, writing credit here. A guy named Brad Morris who has written nothing. I think he wrote like one other thing that I, I don't know if it's a music video. Like I don't know what it is, but something small. And then there's the guy, I guess the main guy, I don't know. His name is Dan Lagana, which looks like it's lasagna without the S. Yes. And he is noteworthy to me because he's the executive producer and writer of the upcoming Nicolas Cage Joe Exotic show, which just landed on Amazon, uh, which oh, I'm okay. not looking forward to. But there's also a Joe Exotic reference in this movie when Leslie Bibb on the phone talks to Melanie's dad, and she's like, you Joe Exotic looking, and then they hung up on her. So, like, he's referencing, I guess, future projects, but, like, it also feels timely in a way. I'm sure that was ADR, but, like, I mean, it has to be because she wasn't in, in there, but, like, it feels like a little too current? I don't know. And then he also wrote two episodes of American Vandal, which I love. But, like, basically the greatest extent of any of these four writers in terms of things they've done is two episodes of American Vandal and then an upcoming TV show. So it feels like a lot of new writers taking the helm here. So I don't know. Yeah, no. Uh, and then, like you said, the only other big change is Jenny Ortega is introduced here playing Phoebe, who becomes a very important character. But other than that, literally the same cast. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Oh, God, I forgot. I shut my Netflix off. Let me see. Netflix, I got to read the back of, not the back, but I got to read the oh, like Netflix summary. Oh, like four and a half words that Netflix, yeah. you know, is is gracious enough to give us with, to bestow us with yes. the gift of what this movie is about. Exactly. Considering they gave us nothing before it, pretty much, I doubt there's anything here. Okay, let's see. Two years after Cole survived a satanic blood cult, he's living another nightmare. High school. Oh. Yes. That's it? I do like that. No, no, no. Oh, One okay. more. <laughs> Oh, two more sentences. Wow. Wow. And the demons from his past still making his life hell. That was actually longer than I expected. I was so like weirdly excited to hear your excitement on the Goofy Movie episode where you were like, ooh, I get to read the full Disney Plus write-up. Like, look at this. And you were you had such joy that like somebody actually gave a shit in terms of writing up the movie they were promoting. So I do. I like that. Come on. And I know Disney could probably copy and paste from somewhere, but Netflix, step your game up. I know they just want people to watch the trailer, but some people like to read, okay? Yeah. So, where to begin here? Uh, I mean, I guess we could just go, you know, just quickly. Judah Lewis returns as Cole. This what do you think of like. grew up. He, like, yes. everybody, I'm like, oh, yeah, he's like not an adult now, but he's like the most different, which makes sense because he was like basically right before puberty and now right after puberty, right? I have to say, he grew up into like kind of like a baby Wes Anderson. Okay. The way he dresses. But I have to say, I like it. He seems like a fucked up dude, and why shouldn't he be, right? Like, he's not fucked up in a dark kind of way, which I appreciate it. He's not, like, sinister and gothic. He's just kind of carving his own path. But he's seen a lot of shit. No one believes him. So one of the bright spots of this film, I thought, was his performance. And I look forward to seeing more things with this guy. Yeah, he was really good. So I think overall, on a very high level, I was saying to you that I feel like this is kind of... It's the type of movie that I think Mike most looks forward to breaking down on Third Time's a Charm because it feels like they're playing with sequel conventions and story conventions and remixing the story in ways that 
don't usually happen, I don't think, in sequels. They're more so in a third. And mm-hmm. I'm frustrated by some of this. But I think I'm frustrated by some of this because there's interesting stuff here. And I feel like in terms of sequels, I feel like the PTSD element that he's kind of saddled with and then aligning that with the high school stresses, I think is a really exciting, maybe, but interesting and worthwhile take on how to grow this character from the first movie that no one believes what happened he told everybody what happened what he saw even his parents don't believe him like they love him and like want to believe him but they're like he he needs meds he needs help he needs a psychiatric hospital whatever right and i think the analysis of or the the idea to put him in a world where he suffered all his greatest trauma and that's only the beginning. And it's not like he's been plagued by demons ever since, even though it seems like that also. But the fact that he is dumped into high school where he shouldn't be like the least popular kid in class, but just because he didn't, you know, he said what happened, I guess. He was seemingly, you know, relentlessly mocked for the last three years. High schoolers are tough, you know, they could be really tough. I think we all remember our high school experience. Obviously, we didn't go through what he went through. Well, I don't know, I'm assuming. But (laughs) it's almost trivialized in his school because everyone just assumes he's the crazy kid. And it's weird because we'll get into it a little bit more, but I really liked the beginning of this movie, but not necessarily as The Babysitter 2. I'll explain more of that a little bit later. Just want to run through the cast because in terms of the cast just real quick i'm sorry but in terms of the cast in terms of the beginning the most jarring thing all movie was replacing ron funches with another black man who looks like ron funches and like you got everybody back but ron funches and like you didn't totally recast him you just basically had another black man with like the same haircut like that was a weird decision i feel i'm glad you bring that up i was like wait that's not ron funches and i feel like they made the character wackier with ron funches in mind didn't land him <laughs> and still kept the role in there right <laughs> it just seemed so off it so threw me for a loop that it wasn't ron funches this time that i even went back and was like wait was he actually in the first one cuz i remember talking <laughs> about him but i was like if there was more like that I would be okay with it, but the fact that they're like, hey, this one black guy is replaceable by another black guy, you won't notice. It's like, that feels wrong. And not maliciously wrong, but also kind of maliciously wrong. It didn't feel good, I'll tell you that much. I'm telling you, it really felt like, you know when you watch a movie and you're like, oh, this person was in it, but they weren't really a name yet. Then the sequel comes out and they only had a little role, but they kind of expand it a little bit and make it like just a little bit bigger so that people can acknowledge that that person was in the movie. I even think of like uh, when Ellen Page was in one of the X-Men films and then when she came back, they like made a bigger deal about it. Yeah. Just because it was Ellen Page. If it wasn't her, they probably would have recast it or done something else with it. Like I said, this is like they thought to do that. They kept it and Ron Funches was like, no, I'm good. And they're like, eh, let's just hire someone else. No one will know the difference. It's terrible. It was so weird, and I think we'll get to them later, but the older kids who were the high schoolers in the first movie and now, I guess, are just the undead demons who are college age, whatever, some of them, I feel like the the ladies look about the same. The dudes look a little different to me. Like, it feels like I was a little thrown. I was like, are they the same? And I checked, and they are. But I feel like Heyman Lee and obviously Bella Thorne, who could forget Bella Thorne, uh, <laughs> look basically the same. You know what I mean? But I think the token black guy that we talked about last time were just like, he doesn't have a role. He's just the first one to die. And then the dude who's always shirtless, I'm like, they look similar. I mean, we just watched the movie a month ago. I'm like, they look similar, but I'm not 100% sure. And they are. But like with Ron Funches or not Ron Funches, I was like, oh, okay. No. Yeah, that was just no. <laughs> I get, again, you want to, like, you know, people age, but you still want to bring back the original, like, 
high school crew, like the cult breakfast club, I think they're referred to at some point. So I'm willing to like squint a little if someone looks a little bit older, because again, they're really a main part of the first film. And if you want to do that, I get it. You totally didn't need to bring the Ron Funches character if you're not getting Ron Funches back. But anyway, (laughs) one of the early moments where you're like, WTF. Um, in terms of though, you're absolutely right though. They bring everyone back from that original crew: Robbie M, ML, oh Bella Thorne, as you said, obviously Hanamei Lee, Andrew Bachelor. He's credited, but if you click his Wikipedia page, it goes to King Batch because apparently he's a big internet personality. Oh, okay. So that's that's fitting. So the actor's journey fits the movie, kind of. Yeah, actually, that you're right. <laughs> so we get that crew back, and they're big parts of this film. But, you know, let's talk about the elephant in the room right here. Samara Weaving. We get her in little cutaway scenes, but we really only get her at the end of the film. But you're not so innocent anymore, are you? He's a virgin! He has to be! But look at that! He got a little creep! Who'd have sex with that? (laughs) You want to tell him or should I? No, no! The blood offering is tainted then! (laughs) You betrayed us! I know I read online a lot of people were really disappointed about that. I imagine maybe she was too busy filming Bill and Ted. I know you wanted to get like Samara Summer to hashtag Uh and trend and stuff, but I don't know if it's going to happen, to be honest with you, because she's not really a big part of it. She's a big part of the film because she's important, but my God. We don't see her till the end. And just to clarify, I probably wouldn't care about that if not for this movie being, what, like half an hour longer or at least 20 minutes longer I think it's 20 minutes longer, yeah. It was like from 85 to like an hour 43 or something. Like it's a sizable – and it feels – like there's a point – It feels it. I was 25 minutes in when the first time I checked the clock and I was like, oh no, like this is bad. Like not that it would have stopped even if I wasn't doing it here, but I was like, this is – It's dragging already. And I feel like the issue is that the first one, what she brings, what Samara Weaving brings, and the dynamic she has with Cole, like that, like the B and Cole stuff works so well that before it gets to the crazy, just the human element of it all is engaging and engrossing. And this, it was like, oh, I don't really care about this new kid. Like, I like the dynamics, but it just feels a little stale high school. Like, it doesn't go deep enough. And then they have Melanie, who is like, and we'll talk about, I'm sure, basically they try to make her look exactly like Samara Weaving. And I was like, but they don't address that either. And so it just feels like a lot of wasted opportunity. And I'm I'm struggling to get to a point where something actually happens. Our main character is actually in high school here. So yeah, like you said, we do get a lot of high school early on. And that's kind of what I was alluding to. If this is not the babysitter... Two. And let's say it's just I walked into this cold turkey and I don't know that there's too many supernatural elements. I'm kind of interested in the relationship between characters. You know I like my high school movies. I'm liking these high school scenes. I'm liking the characters. But because I know what it is, I'm waiting for the beat to drop. Yes. You know? So it felt so much longer because of that. And again, Samara Weaving's great. That's no knock to Emily Allen Lind, who played Melanie, who I actually really like. But if again, if I walked into this movie Cold Turkey, or walked in, it's in my living room, you know what I mean? If I sat down to watch this movie Cold Turkey, I might have been more accepting of all this, and I might have like even seen this as a different film. But the fact that I'm waiting is like weighing on me. 
weighing on me the entire time. It's an hour 40, right? Something like that. The original one was an hour 20, which great. We both talked about how it didn't really drag. It was fast paced and we got a lot in a little amount of time. This one was almost, and again, I don't want to kill this movie because I, there was, I laughed a lot more at this one than the original one. That might be a problem, but <laughs> I found myself checking the time so often. Yeah. And when they're in the cabin and they're just talking, that I'm not saying that scene's bad, and I think the acting is great. I actually like both of them in there. It was so long. If you look at the timestamps of that, they're just like 10 minutes chatting in that cabin before, you know, between things happen, like just talking. This is a movie where there's a lot more world building. A lot of maybe questions are answered. But like we said in the first one, did we really need them to be? Yeah, no, I don't know. And I think what is interesting from someone, from people who have seen the first movie, and I think I used this word before, like it kind of remixes the first movie that Melanie is building what we don't really fully realize is the same type of kind of blood cult that B was in the first movie. And... I was, you know, when they go away for the weekend, they go up to the lake and there's this group and like some kids don't seem to fit the group. Like, and then they, they kind of, people are like making out with it. Like, I was just like, I don't understand this group's dynamics at all. And not in a way where like, oh, young kids, like making out with whoever. Like, I don't like, but not like that. <laughs> it's like, I just don't understand. Like, it feels off and not in a way that the first movie was like hot person hot person hot person hot person clear obvious nerd it was like hot quarterback athlete dude melanie who is you know the sort of dorky nerdy girl from the first movie who's like blossomed into i guess hot girl whatever in this but then just like archetypally like funny fat guy and then nerd but i was like this is a weird blend like it didn't feel (laughs) as it, it felt it was a weird middle ground of like part stereotypical and part not at all. And I was like, I don't know what this is going for. And then when she kills the nerd, I was like, oh, okay, I get it. How would you know that? What? The Devil's Book. You you just said The Devil's Book. What do you mean? I never told you about the book. Yes, Cole. You did. You told me that night. (laughs) Cole's going crazy. (laughs) Melanie You're being ridiculous How do you know about the book, Melanie? Because I signed my name in it, Cole (laughs) And at that moment I thought that was It was B inhabiting her body yeah, but no totally it's not. thought that too i don't totally i don't know thought that too <laughs> yeah i mean there's again there's a lot of questions here like like i said i laughed a lot i thought it was funny but i don't know if i necessarily was the first one had me on the edge of my seat this one there's a lot of gore there's a lot of just action sequences like this is more a mcgee film honestly than the original i think but there wasn't a lot of Things that were keeping me invested, if that makes sense, right? Like, there was, like, some jump scares, I think, even in the original one. This one, I didn't... If there were, I guess I'm already at an 11, you know? That I'm not jumping, if that makes sense. I don't know. There was, like, this certain missing element that it felt more like an action comedy at times than, I guess, a horror comedy. Well, what the movie does, which is super weird, is that it's very predictable. Like, they show each of the five people. Like, they basically, one by one, confront 
Cole and Phoebe, right? And they say, there's like a title card, and then they go back to just some like dramatic event in their lives, and then something goes wrong, and then we cut to B, and she's like, hey, want to join my cult, basically. And then they flash to modern day, there's a little bit of a scene, and then they die. And that's exactly how it plays out five times in a row. And I don't know if that's intentional or just terrible, but as soon as you see an introduction to a character in that way, you know that they're about to die. And I think on the one hand, it's a little funny, but it's not creative enough where I'm into it. I'm just, oh, I know what's going to happen here. And it's the same way it plays out every time. Something bad happens. Cut to be in a room by herself. Samara Weaving probably did all this in an afternoon. God bless her. Get that money. And then cut to them back to real life, modern day, real time, whatever. And then they die again because they're demons. It's a weird structuring of things that takes all the suspense and all the possibility for jump scares out of it. It's like, oh, they're going to die. Mm -hmm. I know they're going to die. Oh, it's weird that they pull Bella Thorne's body off her head. That's interesting. But you know she's going to die. Yeah, and you also know that she came back. So there's less of, for me, it was just less of, uh, I don't know. I'm figuring she's going to come back for the sequel, right? Like, the immediate threat has ended, but has it i don't know she could reform right there like but not in a scary way i don't know this had me asking too many questions but i did have in my notes exactly what you said and i did not need these cutaway scenes this to me was already achieved in the first film when they had their like little monologues with i guess they're not monologues but you know like before they died the always said like one thing here or there and they weren't in the same format this to me is such like i don't want to call it fan service but like character service i guess like mick g or whoever's helming this fell in love with the characters and was like wouldn't it be great if we saw like how they joined really quickly let's do it five times and you're like by the last one you like just don't care anymore it might be funny but you just don't care anymore i think what's really strange about this is that it feels like it's written for people who love the first movie but I think it would be better if you had never seen the first movie. Yeah, I think you're right. That's funny, right? (laughs) Which makes no sense. It doesn't make sense but it's kind of, you know, it's similar to what I was saying too. Like, I was more intrigued. Well, yes and no, right? Like, we wouldn't, we would have no idea who, like, the Samara Weaving character at the end. Well, I guess if we saw her in the cutaway scenes, I don't know. This is a tough one to crack. Because, you know, we see Bella Thorne flaunting a gun around, just shooting wildly, and then she shoots and it ricochets and hits her in the boob again. And I'm like, oh, that's that's funny. And then I'm like, is it? Is it just like a reference? Like, I don't know if that's actually funny or not, or if it's trying to be clever, or if it thinks it's clever. It's a weird middle ground, and I don't know how, I'm, how I feel about it, because I like the callback, and I think it's funny that this time she's the cause of getting shot, and, like, having her boob shot again, right? Like, the whole joke from the first time that she just gets shot or whatever but it's like hey you remember this and that's like the whole joke like it's just oh yeah i remember haha the first movie exactly and it is a callback which is fine in a sequel but i don't know and then that one i'm trying to think of the other deaths well, Honestly, i have them all down here so okay hold on <laughs> so we have uh sonia gets beheaded by a surfboard from the top of station wagon she gets like pinned against the rock and the surfboard decapitates her so what's her callback for the first film anything there uh no she she's kind of pretty weak in both of them like in terms of 
character development. She's so got cookies. Know. Was that a thing in the first movie? I don't remember. I don't remember. Not enough for us to remember. So then Allison, who's the Bella Thorne character, wants to be like Geraldo, but fuckable. She shoots herself in the boob, and then that's the canyon death. Yeah, and that, again, we like we said, that's a callback. Max... This was a good, I like this one, where he's working shirtless at like a fast food stand, maybe at a mall, but even though he's shirtless, he has a name tag like on his chest somehow, and I just like that he's always shirtless, which is funny, and then he gets Actually, silly strings and lit on fire. Yeah, but and maybe that's not really a callback, but the rest of his character, I actually enjoyed a lot of moments of his because they were callbacks to that original uh, character, specifically at the end when he's like, Again, spoiler alert, guys, but at the end when he's like, "I'm not, uh, you go, whatever, he was like, yeah, bro. I'm like, I'm not even mad, you know? Because I do like how he has this underlying thing that he's kind of, like, rooting for uh, yeah. Cole at times, you know? He, he has to kill him, but he's also, like, he's got this bro thing where he's just like, you know, I don't know how to describe it, but you know what I well, mean. Well, he taught in the first movie, he taught Cole to kick attackers in the balls. And so when he gets kicked mm-hmm. in the balls here, he's, like, proud that the student has become the teacher in a way. And he's okay. It's like he wants to. He's okay with dying as long as he's killed in a way that he taught someone how to kill him. <laughs> Which again, I appreciated that. I thought they did a good job with those callbacks. Okay, so who's next? I think that's it. Uh, well, no. The, oh, I, uh, John. How does he die? He... Oh, in the yeah, he just dies in the cabin. He just like survives for a while. Like he's not killed by Cole and Phoebe. He just killed... Is he killed by Melanie? I literally watched this movie three hours ago, and I don't remember how he dies. <laughs> oh, it says, John accidentally kills himself. Oh, with the antlers. Sh- oh, chandelier. Yes. The chandelier. Yeah, 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 yes, yeah. Yes, yeah. Yes, okay. Yeah, so... Oh, and he I and think... he did. He fell, and he got impaled in the neck, so that's kind of the same sort of death, but it's... But the in-joke with him is that he wasn't the first to die, which he acknowledges, and he makes that Jordan Peele joke. Uh, where he's like, oh, yeah, I'm not the first to die. You know, this is like something like this is what it's like in the post-Jordan Peele horror films. Or he doesn't say films, you know what I mean? Yeah, there's a lot of references like that, like where he makes a joke about Travis Scott and Kylie Jenner breaking up, and there's the Jordan Peele thing, and there's the Joe Exotic thing, where it's supremely dating it to this year, or Mm -hmm. the last, (laughs) say, 12 months, in a way that I don't know that a movie... Like, I think the first one is in a way, timeless. Like, I think it is slick and glossy in a way that, like, maybe movies only from this era ever would be or could be. But I also think that nothing in there dates it specifically. Like, it kind of feels like an 80s movie. This is talking reference after reference after reference to modern day stuff, and it's, why are you doing, like, why? why? I don't know. Honestly, I found a lot of them to be funny, but there's just so many that I wish there was only, like, 25% 25% of them in there. Like, again, the Joe Exotic thing, that's too timely, right? But, like, I don't mind him saying the Jordan Peele thing because that's something we really discussed on the last episode that, like, is he, like, a stereotype yep. token black yep. guy? So I, I think that's acknowledging that. But the first third of the movie, I'm laughing so much. And then I just stopped laughing because it just reference after reference joke after joke that i'm just like enough already guys i get it but like let's get into the meat and potatoes of this like you you can drop it at some point but throughout the entire thing with these like references that some i didn't even get i felt like i was like an old man at, at times well you can go to mcdonald's now and get the travis scott meal where it's the quarter pounder with uh, or the yeah the quarter pounder with bacon and a sprite and barbecue sauce like go pick that up get hit with the kids <laughs> okay so what's a little strange 
is that everything is modern references and young kid stuff and basically what feels like the writers old white dudes feeling like steve buscemi and 30 rock like hello fellow kids <laughs> yes yes but then there's music cues like the dead kennedy's police truck which i am firmly in my brain because the tony hawk remaster just came out i've been playing a lot of that so that's in my brain for that but like that's not a song that kids today are listening to and then the dads singing along to black velvet is like very funny but that's not a modern thing and i don't know if it's trying to be both modern but also dating itself like people i don't know if kids know killer queen like unless you're a queen fan right or like white rabbit because she wants to be alice in wonderland but they play jefferson airplane like i don't like what what Uh, like i think yeah I i think this is kind of emblematic of where the movie is in terms of being a sequel where it's stuck between two things where it's trying to be new, but old it's trying to tell its own story, but also remix or retell the first one, a reference back. And it is stuck between two worlds in a way that there's some stuff here that I think is really interesting and exciting. And then other stuff where I'm like, I don't, I don't get what's going on. I was going to save this to the end, but I'll, I'll just ask it now. Is it fair to say that this is not one of the four sequels that superseded the original? Okay, let's talk about that, because <laughs> I am so frustrated by this movie bringing it up more than once, and yet never actually going into the list. Like, when the first movie, they had the whole six people, like the ultimate badass six-person space team, or whatever, right? And yeah. they go through each of their lists, and at the end, you know, B does hers in the beginning, and at the end, Cole gives B his list, and it includes them, and it's like a nice kind of closure. And in this movie, Phoebe's like, they're talking about Terminator 2 the entire movie, which I get it. But that's another thing where I'm like, you, you're you aware that you're a sequel and you're not doing anything with it. Like, you're being meta in a way that is only frustrating because, like, you're acknowledging that you're being meta and not doing anything interesting. And <laughs> you know, you're right. They reference, she says there's four, she's like, oh, of course I've seen Terminator 2. Uh, there's four sequels that supersede the original. And I'm like, cool by the end of the movie like it's almost like Chekhov's gun it's like you better fucking tell us what these four movies are like even if it's, it's just true. It's, it's just opinion but like like you can't be this pop culture movie reference and then not complete the list give me the list so that you and I when we're talking we're not like what's on the list we're like they included that on the list no 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 you know like let's have the that be the debate not like what's on the list like have some, have some guts, you know. So Give what is on the list? list? I was going to ask you. Okay, so this is what I think is on the list. Okay. And and let me see what you think is on the list because I know there – for me, there's not just four. There's probably about ten. Well, we know for what, for sure one is Terminator 2. Yes. This is what I'm assuming they're saying, and then I'm going to tell you okay. what I think should be on the list as well. But maybe it's just not as important. Terminator 2 we know. Yep. I'm assuming Empire Strikes Back. Okay. These are, I'm trying to think of what's like almost undisputed. Um, I, for a lot of people, and including me, and I think if you talk to most people, they'll say Godfather 2. Yep. And then the fourth I was struggling with, but I'm going to say more modern one because they're trying to be hip with the kids, Dark Knight over Batman Begins. I mean, that's a that's a no-brainer, right? I don't know if it's a no-brainer. I thought that for a while. And then when we did a season of Cinemakers with Chris Podcasts, I think all three of us, me, Mike, and Chris, liked Batman Begins better than The Dark Knight. I think The Dark oh. Knight's more exciting but I, I think... agree with you. I, I actually agree. I like Batman Begins better, but I was trying to think, like, what do most people in pop culture think, I guess? I'm thinking, and I don't know if this is true or not, they're wildly different movies, but Aliens over Alien, maybe, if we're thinking on the James Cameron wavelength. So that was on my long list. My list was essentially Terminator 2, Godfather 2, 
aliens with a question mark. I, don't I think know. it's that fourth. I think it's that fourth that we're, we're struggling with. But Joey, I'm really surprised because there's a film that I was sure was going to be on your list. Oh, Paddington Two. Paddington Two, of course. The perfect, the most perfect movie that's ever been made. <laughs> I don't even think I need to mention that. Your favorite movie of all time. Yeah. I think you changed your letterbox to Paddington Two fanboy as your name. Oh, I should. <laughs> Number one Paddington fan. Yes, number one Paddington fan. That's more <laughs> accurate. But that was actually, that was on my long list because I wanted to bring it up. One that I think is definitely not like 90% undisputed is Mad Max Road Warrior. Like most people consider it better than the original okay. like, Australian mm-hmm. Mad Max that almost no one saw. One that I don't think people talk about anymore, but certainly at the time they're like, no, this is better, was the second Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. Spider-Man 2, I think it was just called. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I know, like, we were, like, ten Spider-Mans away from that. But at the time, everyone's like, whoa, this sequel's better than the original. But I also um, don't think that, like, if you're so bold to make a claim that, like, there's only four, no. I don't think Spider-Man 2 makes that list. <laughs> no, no, unless you're going to, like, want to get in an argument at that party. Be like, I but, think, yeah. again, this is not on the four. I think Guardians 2 is better than Guardians 1. Magic Mike XXL is a perfect movie, and the first one is just really good. That's a better sequel. Fair. Fair. I can't argue with that. And speaking of Marvel, I think a lot of people probably like Winter Soldier more than Captain America. Yeah. Like yep. the original one. So there's more than four is the point. But I don't know. Like, But if you're only if you're saying there's only four, it's like, what are the obvious four? And I don't know. I don't know. Like, it's, it's Terminator 2, it's Godfather 2, and then it's two question marks. I think Empire Strikes Back. Empire. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think they're definitely... That's definitely on there. Um, in terms of again, what people think, and and I think we have a fair debate between Dark Knight and Aliens. Yeah, man, what a weird thing to do. What a weird <laughs> thing to do. Slumberers out there. I mean, or un- Mike unless, Manti. unless, unless, unless it's like really, really winking, but it's not. But it's like if she had said Terminator Two, Godfather Two. Empire Strikes Back, and then she turns to the camera and be like, you know, the fourth. And like that's like that would be kind of cool. But they don't do that. But definitely not true. Yeah, definitely not true. And that's kind of why I brought it up. This does not supersede the original. And even if they were doing it like you said, then be obvious about it. They weren't. No, because they don't they acknowledge they're a sequel without doing anything interesting about it. Like it's so reliant on the first one in a way that is frustrating. I think, you know, when I messaged you this afternoon as I was watching it, this feels like exactly the kind of movie that Mike would pick apart on third times. And maybe if we get to Babysitter 3, we'll see how that goes. But I feel when you have a sequel, you should have enough of an idea to tell its, its own story. It's only in this is it's not always true for third times. Like Mike has pointed this out from time, but like, the third one is kind of where things get weird because you're either widening the story or wrapping things up. And this feels like it's doing both, but it's not like they don't have a second idea. This is more like the babysitter 1.5 kind of. Yeah. You know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of, let's say the babysitter was a wildly successful movie that people were just going nuts about it. It reminded me of like, if they commissioned like a, like a graphic artist to do like a graphic novel about, like, the babysitter, what happens next. Because it read like that to me. Like, we go different directions. Uh, this is not me dissing a graphic novel, but you know when people just want a little bit more yeah. of the content, but not necessarily in a movie? That's what it felt like. Like, those Star Wars novels, too, or something like that. Like, it didn't feel like a sequel to a movie. It's weird, man. <laughs> and I'm, I am very curious, Mike, if you're listening. Mike Manzi, the Mikester. You all know him on this show. 
the I think he's still yeah as of now he's close to Kate Hudson but he still might be the most guested person of 2020. I'd love to know his take on the sequel thing. What's in his for? Because I know he's a big Planet of the Apes guy. I don't know if the second one is considered better than the first one. I'm not sure. I don't know. Again, in the Lord of the Rings world, what's considered better there? I don't know. But it's definitely not four. But Mike, if you're listening, give us the core four. Yeah. So a couple other things as we dance around. I really don't want to go scene by scene with no, this one. No, I'm like, I have more things to say, but I basically, I, I've said most of the things that I want to say already. Because I think, I think it's worth watching. And we were both apprehensive going into this because there was no buzz. There was no press. The fact that they're just like, hey, two weeks, check it out. We were both worried. I hadn't heard anybody talking about it and I was nervous. I was trying to avoid all reviews and everything. And then I looked at IMDb just to check if McGee directed this one too. And I saw the Metascore was 30 and I was like, ah, shit. And then it wasn't that bad. Like, I don't think it's that bad. And my grade at no. the end will reflect it. But I, I don't know. We don't need, like, this is not, again, I don't know if we need any movie, but like, we don't need this movie. I wish that it had a more, because there are more stories to tell in this world. This isn't a story, I don't think. And, like, it's hard to tell so early on, like, what people think, because as we've seen, like, this ebbs and flows. We'll talk about Rotten Tomatoes later, but there's just, like, a little preview of it. There's only 22 critics who've reviewed this so far. Is Kate Hudson one of them? No, definitely not. (laughs) (laughs) And the audience, it's only 264 people. So, and I think if you've seen this movie right away, you probably have a certain opinion rather than, like, just randos watching it it is trending number two on netflix now so maybe we'll get some more yeah hillary swank cannot be toppled from her number one spot in a way (laughs) i did see some people on letterboxd saying that they like this better than the original i was like what what like i don't i don't think that's crazy but like what did you see in this because i feel like this is the movie that i think a lot of people who hated the first one saw like what it felt like to me where it was just like cringy references and over the top not corniness but just oh, this is like old white dudes trying to sound like high schoolers, right? Like, that's what this felt like. And I understood the criticism people had of the first movie. So like, if people hated the first movie, don't even want, like, don't, like, not that they ever would, but like, this is not where you should be going. No, no, this is not like the one that's going to get you back into the series. Certainly not. But I think if you liked the first movie, I could see how some people would really enjoy a lot of elements of it. Again, I wish it was shorter. I wish it was snappier. I am curious, though, to know how you felt about the parents this time around. Um, Ken Marino, uh, Leslie Bibb, and now, what's his name, Juan in this. Was he in the first one? He was. Remember, he's the he's the guy who's, like, watering his car. Like, he's, yeah. Uh, oh, I just didn't think it was the same actor. Oh, I don't I know if it's it the same is. actor or not. I know the character is in there, but it felt like he was more of a cartoon. Certainly, certainly. Let me see. Yeah, he was the same guy in the first one. It just... Wow, they really expanded his role then and, like, given him more stuff to do. <laughs> um, yes, he was very cartoony, but Juan, I don't, Archie is Ken Marino's character's name. He's Ken Marino. Yeah. <laughs> and Leslie Bibb. Uh, what do you think of the whole parental elements here? Because they're very different. in the, Not that their characters are very different, but what happens is very different. I love them in the first movie, and I was very excited to see them back in this movie. And then... I was disappointed. Like when they appear first and they're both doing like corny Italian accents that just go on too long. Like that feels on brand, but I'm like, these actors can both give you so much more 
and they're only going to have five minutes of screen time. I guess Ken Marino gets a little bit more, right? But I don't know, man. I don't know. Or am I wrong? Did you love them? No, I mean, at the beginning, I agree with that Italian scene. At the beginning, I was, like, really cracking up on some of Ken Marino's one-liners, but I think I'm just, like, a huge Ken Marino fan, and that's why. But as it went on, like, his little, like, high journey with Juan and as they go along and just, like, there. Like, it was a one-note joke that they kept playing over and over and over again. And I was like, all right, we get it. Like, again, and I do find it funny that, like, he can't tell his wife that he snuck over there one day just to get high and watch video games. But then we see it happen. Yeah. Yeah. For for a while. You know? It's like, oh, okay. And I think I was disappointed because I lump Leslie Bibb in with, like, Sarah Hayes, who was one of the princesses in Bill and Ted's Bill and Ted Face the Music. Like, she's in a lot of the same kind of alt-comedy stuff. And seeing how much more... Like, not that the princesses had a ton to do in the third movie. Like, I would have liked to see even more... But their expanded role and seeing Sarah Hayes and Jayma Mays too, like get to flex their creative muscles a little bit more in the third movie. And then here seeing him or seeing both of them, like, uh, I just, I know that they can both do more. And I was kind of just, I was hoping for more and I didn't get that. I wish, because I think they had great chemistry in the first one. I wish Leslie Bibb and Ken Marino went on this little journey rather than the Juan character just hitting us on the head with it. We get it. I wish he just, and I was hoping for it, and I thought that's what we were going to see, that he was just going to stay in the house and, and just be like, get my car back, and then they were going to go on this adventure. But no, it just becomes like a weird older person, older dude, I should say, like buddy comedy thing that's not, again, hitting the same notes over and over again. I don't know how else to say it. So while I didn't hate them, and, and to be clear, if anyone's listening and it's like, oh, Brian hated this movie, I didn't hate this movie. There's just, on, like, first watch, a lot of weirdness to talk about. Uh, I just don't... Maybe it's pacing. Maybe it's... I think, again, I think it comes down to it being too long and a little unnecessary. And when it tried to get serious with this... And, again, I like her. I like Jenny Ortega. But when it tried to get serious with the Phoebe stuff, it really didn't land to me till the end when it all tied together. I also didn't understand that. There's the rumor early in the movie that... Phoebe killed her parents, which she confirms in a way by the end, but her killing her parents is that she left a stuffed animal somewhere that they went to get, and then she and B are in another car, they get into a car accident, her parents both die, and if this is wrong, let me know, but I feel like this is what happens, her parents both die, B and Phoebe go to the hospital, B somehow makes a deal with the devil at some point, I don't know if it's before or after, and I didn't understand... Did she do a deal with the devil to, like, keep Phoebe alive? Like, it was all weird. Yeah. Like, I thought it was intentional that B killed the parents, but that isn't what it was, because then B at the end here is, like, making everybody happy. I don't—it was so weird. I thought that, too, but I, like, read up on it, and the consensus is that that was her first babysitting assignment. Not ever, but, like, her first kid she babysat was remember we talked in the last movie we were like we don't know how old she is she could have been doing this for a hundred years no but that was like number one uh the uh, jenny ortega's character phoebe and that was a complete accident she got into a car accident and because you see her in the hospital and she like was making a deal with that like devil nurse or yeah. doctor or whatever and she's like no take phoebe and i'll do whatever you want for me and this is really phoebe's story like overarching and that cole he was just like one person, in, which was what we kind of suspected. One person in a chain of like 
virgin's blood she had to get. Um, and I, I'm not saying that didn't make sense to me. Like, I get it. I like that we got her origin. I like to be, okay, like, okay, that's how she made the deal with the devil. What's clunky is, like, her plan to me. They kind of write it off as, like, oh, I didn't know it was going to work. I just assumed it would, you know? Like, the fact that she's like, oh, I'm going to get these two people who I liked best in my, you know, life. One was before she was a demon. One was after. It's like, I'm going to get them together so they can have sex. And and kill all the other demons? Because Cole, that was the dumbest thing. Like, Cole saying he loved B was enough to overcome. But she doesn't seem inherently evil. Like, she seemed like she was always good. And also what's weird is that if Phoebe was her first babysitting assignment, it's essentially like 10 years before, because she's like, she's 17 or whatever in this mm-hmm. movie, and she's probably seven in the flashback, right? But it feels like, I guess it's just the aesthetic, that all these people that she's gathering through time, which again is kind of Bill and Ted of her, that she's recruiting, feel like they're from the 80s? Like, the one dude who wants I... to be a singer... Maybe it's modern day, but he's wearing, like, Michael Jackson clothes with a Michael Jackson jerry curl. Like, Max is wearing, he's working in, like, an 80s, like, a Stranger Things, Fast Times, mall shop. And it feels, why is this all so antiquated, other than just the aesthetic, when really everything has happened between, like, 2010 and 2020? I didn't understand that aspect of it. I didn't know if they were trying to be clever. You know those movies where you just can't tell what decade it is or what year it is, and they're just trying to be clever? Like, I thought they were maybe trying to do that because it didn't really make timeline sense if that was the case, unless she did the Phoebe killing of her parents on purpose. And this is still just all ruse, and we're going to get that in the third film, you know? I but I think she's know. gone. Like, she is... If Samara Weaving comes Looks back like in the it. third movie, I mean, I would love for her to come back because she's my favorite part of the first movie, but there's no reason for her to come back. The only thing I can think of is that, like, this was a rewrite because they real maybe because of Bill and Ted. They realized they didn't have her a lot, so they tried to just, like, okay, we got to write her out somehow, the franchise. People are going to be asking. I think they pulled the wool over our eyes by not, like, telling us at all that she's hardly in it or something. Or maybe they should have implied that she's not in it at all. Well, but she's top build yeah, in most she, places. Yeah, she's top or second build. On the poster, there's, like, the five demons below, and it's Cole and B and Phoebe up top. It's like, cool, everybody's back, right? Or is it or is it Melanie up top? No, Melanie's at the bottom. So, I don't know, man. Also, can we talk about, like, they explicitly made Melanie look like B, right? Like, dress like B, hair like B, like the feathered blonde hair, act like I think her, so. assume the role. I Like, is that because they didn't have Samara weaving? Because that was... I mentioned this before, and you said you thought that too. It felt like B was inhabiting her, but no, she's just the same kind of power trip. Yeah, yeah. I thought, again, because B was inhabiting her, or let's say it wasn't even B, I thought it was just like, whoever's the leader, they take on the same devil spirit, and that's why. But it wasn't clear. (laughs) Honestly, it wasn't clear. What's also weird is that Cole that night told Melanie everything that happened. And yet, when B, his dead babysitter who disappeared appears to her she's like yeah cool i want to be famous i'll do whatever you say like how is that the end game like or maybe that's just the act that she's pulling the act that she's playing the part that she's playing but it feels like she is cold i believe you i believe you i believe you oh by the way your dead babysitter who's not actually dead she convinced me to join her blood cult it's like what yeah no maybe i'll have to watch it again and, and get it but these aren't supposed to be the movies that you have to watch again and get it 
I really was super confused by all it. And again, I really liked her in the first film. And I thought, I think she's a good actor. So it's nothing against, Melanie. no knock against her. Melanie, yeah. yeah. Well, both. I think Samara Weaving and the one. Well, yeah, yeah, Melanie. But I think that's undeniable. I thought, yeah, but okay. But yeah, talking about Melanie, like, I, I wish that she had a different part to play because she mm-hmm. could have done something. I was hoping that it was just a form she was taking and like the real Melanie was never even invited him on the trip. Like she was still back home or, or something like that. And I don't know. <laughs> it's just so, it's tough. There's a lot here to digest, and I almost think it's not even worth some of it. Again, it sounds like I'm really, really hating on this movie. I, it just left me with so many questions, and not in the good way. No, and I think that's the frustrating thing, where if a movie is truly bad from top to bottom, there's, like, nothing to talk about, unless you want to make fun of it. But, like, it's movies like this that removing things or adding things or answering questions or taking parts and moving them elsewhere or whatever there are i don't want to call them easy tweaks but it's a frustrating middle ground where there is a good movie in here and it's not what we saw and that's the frustrating thing like that's why i'm down on this it's the same way that i was down in a different way though with anna and the apocalypse i'm like this could be my favorite movie and it's not but like it has all the elements and just the way that they're coming together doesn't work for me but again, this I don't know this is gonna be my favorite movie of all time, but like it could be a movie that I love, like the first one, and it just feels jumbled and rushed and again, like you're saying, I don't know if it's rewrites or what, but it feels like there were missing things. So I was gonna ask you this question because I know you're a big fan of this director. And as I've thought over the years about Anna and the Apocalypse, because again, I know you weren't the biggest fan of that film, but like you said, you were really looking forward to it. And then when I watched this, it hit me again. Do you think that like sometimes these movies try to like accomplish what Edgar Wright does so well, and then they just kind of miss that tone? There was times in here that I'm like, oh, this feels like an Edgar Wright film, but not. Like the blending of, like the inserting of humor into a world that serious things are happening? Yeah, like again... Shaun of the Dead, best example. Like that's that's probably the movie that for me did it best. And then you see this film, and I'm just I'm not feeling the same things I'm feeling as Shaun of the Dead. If that makes like sense. I think I think the difference with those movies is that Shaun of the Dead is a legitimate horror movie. That Hot Fuzz is a legitimate action movie. That The World's End is a legitimate sci-fi movie. And each of them are funny because they're written well and acted well and told a co- cohesive story, but they stand alone as whatever genre they're in, right? And I think the first Babysitter worked as a horror movie because it was unexpectedly a horror movie, and I think it had everything. And then the fact that it was kind of funny and weird and meta added to that. That it's clearly a horror movie, but it's also kind of a comedy. This is firmly a comedy, but not a funny one, that has horror elements, but it feels like it only has horror elements because that's what the first one did. Like, I don't think on its own, this is a good horror movie. And I think that's why it fails to live up to that Edgar Wright standard, even though that's like the golden, like very few things do. But because this does not exist or cannot exist or cannot stand on its own as the genre it exists in, adding comedy to it doesn't elevate it. It just muddies it. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with that. I, I don't know. Um <laughs> <laughs> let's see let's go through my notes i did write down a note i just said did cole and phoebe fuck and yeah but it feels wildly early like he is such a reserved kind of nerd and i know that she's the perfect girl for him kind of 
And I know that it's a horror movie and they're kids and they're horny or whatever, but he goes from being too nervous to kiss her to then having sex with her in the span of 45 minutes? Oh. Oh. I love this song. <laughs> me too. I think one time me and my babysitter actually listened to this for like 48 hours straight. She sounds pretty cool. Yeah, she was. Is. I, I don't know. She's kind of who started the thing with them out there. I know I said it was my job to protect me. Yeah, actually, that was the next note I had. Um, what was this sex scene? It was very bizarre. I guess it's on brand for what they were doing for the rest of the film. But I must thought at the end in like the you know that scene with the where they're like burning the effigy. I must thought that she and Samara Weaving were going to be in on it together. That the sex happened, if you will, because she knew she had to have sex with him, and she was kind of not playing along, but. She knew she had a role to play, and she didn't kind of want to tell him. Like, you know, it's like, oh, if I told you, you wouldn't have done it. If you knew I was working with her, you wouldn't have, you know? But it was none of that. It was almost like a surprise to both of them. So it doesn't make sense that he would have sex with her just like that, unless he's just all horned up from kissing his hot neighbor who he's wanted to kiss for for years. Well, I guess he kissed her in the first film, but you know what I mean. Because as you're going to hear, like, what's weird is that she knows, Melanie knows on some level that Cole is the blood of the innocent, right? That he needs to be pure, he needs to be a virgin, yes. whatever. And yet, she goes into the closet with him for seven minutes in heaven, which they call two minutes of heaven, because, like, that's enough time. Uh, like, <laughs> that's the joke in the movie. But if that plays out to its logical end, you have sex in the closet, and then the whole <laughs> goal of getting him up here doesn't work. So what are you doing? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Uh, maybe, again, just to get him a horn. Wait, no, you don't want to do that. No! The pack that we don't know about is Phoebe and B. And it's like, but Phoebe doesn't know that. Like, it's just B knowing, B puppeteering, puppet mastering, pulling the strings in a way that Phoebe doesn't know. I don't know, man. It also... Yeah, <sighs> again, I just wish Phoebe knew. Because if Phoebe knew, there's more of a line to be like, oh, this was all part of our plan all along. You know, she saved my life. You know, I want to save you. You know, she told me, I don't know, like, I know she likes you. I want to save your life. I also think you're a really cool guy, you know? Or it could be like a, <laughs> this is a really random reference that came to my head. But you know, at the end of uh, Too Fast, Too Furious, when like, you don't know if Eva Mendez was playing uh, with Brian the entire time, but she kind of just says like, goodbye and winks. And they go their separate ways. Mm -hmm. Like, I wouldn't have minded if that would happened with Phoebe here. Like, at that moment, Brian's like, you know, maybe she was playing me too. Whatever. You know, it's kind of over. Like, I wouldn't mind it if, like, that was somehow how they had to break the curse. Like, the, how he had to lose his virginity with her because she was the one that the curse was, you know. Some other thing that made it more logical sense rather than, oh, it was B pulling the strings the entire an hour and 40 minutes. You know, everything worked out 100% according to her plan. And even if it didn't, whatever, you know. Like, that that was where I thought they could have rescued a lot, and they didn't. Was it a movie you covered, or was it another... Maybe it wasn't... I don't know. There's a movie that I listened to a podcast about recently, so it was either yours, because I don't think it was one of Mike's, and I'm positive it wasn't one of Kyle's, but it was either yours, or maybe it was a How Did This Get Made movie, where, like, they know that they have to have sex to, like... <laughs> Definitely not a movie I covered. Hold on. Oh, it was My Demon Lover. Yeah. So... Okay. There's a recent movie that How Does Get Made covered where at the end, it's called My Demon Lover, and at the end of the movie, these characters have to have sex 
because he can only become a... I, I, don't, I didn't see the movie, I just listened to the podcast. But something like, this guy can only become a demon if he's horny. And the girl he's with is just like, oh, why don't you just say that? And like, they just have sex right there. And it's something like that where it feels like that's almost what this movie is trying to do. Where it's like, I'm here to be the blood of the innocent. If I'm not innocent, everything is going to go to shit and we're going to get out of this alive. And it feels like he walks up there with the confidence and maybe... Maybe that's why he walks up there with a the confidence. I don't know. But as the audience, we're not in on that at all. And I, I feel like we should be, because we know from the first movie the alchemy of this, that Cole is the blood of the innocent, right? And yet, why are they trying to hide it from us? Yeah. It's weird, right? Now that you and I are like just hashing this out right now i kind of wonder about the production of this film like maybe they shot it and then netflix is like hey can you give us a movie and they they didn't expect it to come out this early and they just or maybe during covid like they just weren't working and they didn't really have time to edit it properly or hash everything out i don't know i I wish i knew because it seems like a lot of these things are very solvable and they're just choosing not to i mean if we step away from it though the fact that we're talking about a horror movie sequel. Maybe we're overjudging it a little bit, but it's, I don't know, it feels like things made today take a little bit more care when it comes to, I don't know, care, like they know they're not releasing straight to VHS, even though this is straight to Netflix, but I don't know, there's a little bit more TLC put in them. Every time something releases while we're in semi-quarantine, whatever you want to call this now, where basically, where, where movies and TV shows are not getting made, right? Every time something new comes out, I'm surprised. I'm like, oh, there's another thing on the shelf that they could, that we just have to watch. Like, that's pretty cool. And I wonder if this was filmed, like, the end of last year, beginning of this year for release whenever. Who knows when? Maybe around now. I don't know. But because of social distancing and quarantine and pandemic and whatever, they weren't able to do reshoots. And so they were just said, yeah, well, well, we got a movie here. But I wonder, I wonder. Like, I, I don't know. Because it feels, to your point, it feels, I don't know, rushed, but kind of sloppy. Or like, they don't, they're like, this is just what we got. Right. And maybe that's why it's longer. I don't I don't know. But I wonder if COVID impacted this in any way. Yeah, I'm very, very curious. And that's why I want to ask you about the effects, because that's not something that's easy to do. Did you think they were on par with the last film? I think they were good. I think the decapitation with the surfboard was good. I think Bella Thorne getting her body pulled, like her neck stretched and body pulled, I think was pretty good. The antlers were good. I think it was good. I mean, there's nothing here that really is going to be... Like, I'm almost positive in a week I will remember none of this. But there wasn't anything where here I was just where I thought it was kind of lazy. I think it all worked well. And I think in line with the kills from the first movie. Yeah, yeah. So it doesn't, like, feel like it skipped a beat there. So, again, I don't know. Like, I was just reading some things quickly because I'm trying to see about, like, the production. And... McGee really wanted to make this look more like a Tarantino film compared to the last one. Did he describe in what way? I spent so much time in the 90s under the tutelage of Quentin Tarantino. I was making music videos and commercials at Tarantino's production company. I didn't know that. You look at Django Unchained and the way the sister gets pulled out. I guess just like the kills and stuff. I mean, I they're good. Like, I think the effects are good in this movie. I think the surf, like the surfboard in one in particular, like people's heads getting cut off works really well. Um, By the way, I never thought of Mick G as a protege of Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> I knew, I think I knew that he came from the music video world, but I did not know. I guess he, I guess that was a band apart. I guess that's his production studio, right? Yeah. So it makes sense. It's the style. It's, 
I don't want to say this to be mean because I'm not being mean, but like the same way that everyone tried to ape Tarantino sort of smart talking criminals in the 90s and early 2000s, like so many movies are just bad ripoffs of his. McGee is that to a certain degree, but was able to find his own voice to be successful. Yeah, that's fair. And I, but I can also see where it's substance over, like substance and style overall, and flashiness and letting it all figure out and kind of beautiful people. Like I get that element, and I think it works. And I think his visual style and palette and whatever is unique enough and well founded enough to overcome some shortcomings but when the script is this kind of all over the place i don't know i think you just need someone to come in here and like structurally fix this movie yeah i mean i I can't disagree with that is there anything else you liked about the film let me look at my notes i did not like phoebe versus melanie in a video game i felt that was very i don't know if it's on the nose but that was not good i even forgot about that but you're right uh scott pilgrim I like the surprise dance scene out of nowhere, which feels like I shouldn't, given on how I did not like the fight scene. But I think that was kind of, in retrospect, I think that was their sex scene. Like, their orgasmic experience was just in a dance scene that felt weird. Like, the I don't know what the name of the song is, but the Tonto Jump on it, right? Like, that I liked. I did not like him peeing on her face. Yeah. <laughs> that was interesting. Um... I like the Bella Thorne line, luckily the devil gives good head, when they're like, how did you get your head back? I think that was kind of, you know... But yeah, no, I don't know. I really liked Phoebe. I thought Phoebe was interesting. I agree with you to a certain extent that I don't know the tenderness, like the seriousness of her backstory. I don't know that that really fully works for me. But I think the actor played it really well. She's going to be in the upcoming Scream 5. Okay. It looks like as maybe one of the lead young people because like nev campbell's in a whatever but according to imdb in terms of billing she's very she's like fifth build or something so she might be like the young person lead so i'm looking forward to seeing her she's in a bunch of shows that like disney shows and jane the virgin and the show you which i'm very excited to see that i have not seen yet but she's great i think she was the she was my favorite part of this movie in a way that i was not expecting because i didn't even know who she was or that she was going to be in here right but yeah just fyi i looked it up quickly did some deep diving this was shot between Oct- mid-October and late November last year. Do it that information what you will. I don't know. Uh, yeah, okay. I mean, I would imagine it's always going to be a Netflix movie, right? So yeah, it's for sure. not like it was a delayed theatrical release. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, yeah. No, but I definitely agree. I, I didn't think the acting was bad, and I don't think like the characters are bad. It's just there's something story here that's confusing me. So, I mean, is there anything else you want to chat about when it comes to the babysitter killer queen? Or should we move on to our question? I don't think so. I mean, I guess the third movie might be them trying to... Oh, Evil Dead 2 is better than Evil Dead. Ah, yes. That's a good call. That's a good call. But that's just more of affection. You know, they they basically remade it with budget, right? Yeah, I mean, that's the only reason I know that it's better, because I'm not a big horror guy, but I just just happen to know that. So, yeah, that makes sense. But I was thinking about the book at the end, sort of their version, maybe of the Necronomicon or whatever, right? Where... I guess the third movie would be them eradicating evil from the world. Yeah, I guess. Maybe. Destroying the book? I don't know. But that's what made me think of the evil dead. So, yeah, I don't know. The one thing McGee said about the third one was that he's like, well, he's got to finish high school. So 
Good chance it's going to be a high school film. <laughs> well, okay. So I guess we can do a crossover with you and Mike. That's cool. I mean, if if the show is still around, because I've, I've heard rumors that it's going to get canceled or it's going to end, right? So not yours, but his. There, so. there are rumors. I was like, wait, have you heard? Worried. Worried. Have you heard rumors about me? Because I should know about them. No, <laughs> no not you. His. <laughs> oh, I know. Just, I know. you know, ending any day now, even though he's got like a dozen episodes backed up. Who knows? But yes. That's, okay, question time. That's I'm the ready. big rumor. Okay. So this is going to be a little weird because some of the characters return, but I don't really remember what we said the first time anyway. I I, I still have to do my list. I, I'm very aware I have your homework. Uh, <laughs> Wooderson Award. Is there a character here who you would have liked to see more of, explored more in any way? I think it would have been cool. I don't know that you do it with it being a sequel. I don't know that you can tell a sequel from a new character's point of view, but I think Phoebe being the main character would have been an interesting, a better movie overall. I think the at least the way that they focus on Cole is underwhelming. I think it starts interesting and then just kind of goes off the rail and becomes one note. I think Phoebe steals the movie. I would have either liked to see more of her or like a redefined Cole role and also more Leslie Bibb. That's fair. That's fair. I was, I was struggling with that one, but I think... Yes, I think both those are uh, pretty good, because Leslie Bibb probably was what I would have said, but if you think about it, you're right. She's just, Phoebe, you know, she's the reason for all of this, so. But then again, they try investing a little bit more. I don't know, it's tough, right? Like, because when they do go in that direction, I'm, I don't really care. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know. But we'll mark it down for Phoebe. All right, Long Duck Dong Award. Is there a character whose omission would make the film better with a 2020 lens? It's a 2020 film, so kind of hard, but what do you think? Ooh, I don't like Juan. Like, I don't I don't mind that he's in the movie at all, but I don't like that they focus on him as much. And the not-run Fonches... Not, oh, sorry. Not-run... Hello. That's a hard name to say when you're not thinking about it. The not-run Funches nurse slash psychiatrist i don't need him in the movie either i think we yeah i think we went over both of those and the reasons why like more leslie bibb less Juan, and yeah what the hell was this ron funches thing i forgot we started with that (laughs) that works all right did anyone look too old to be a high schooler cameron fry award i mean i think we kind of answered this too no because i think the the main high schoolers here are cole and melanie and phoebe right because everybody else is older i mean i guess they're still supposed to be playing well, that's what i'm saying they're their not, eternal bodies or whatever they're right? not but, supposed to have age so i think like if you're gonna say anything it's probably the guys who look different you know and maybe they don't look like high schoolers anymore no but i i'm also okay with them because they could just be like all they need is like a, a line joke that like man shit's weird after you die and like that's it you know what i mean so fair okay. they didn't do that but i'm also i'm okay with i don't know next question did you subscribe to bella thorne's only fans no. I'm kidding. I told off air this off air joke. I subscribed I to did, it. Guys. I did I did find the pictures online though and I was thoroughly underwhelmed. No, I mean you you could admit it. <laughs> I showed you them. I knew we were going to cover this and I'm like, let me just do it because it might be a fun topic on the show to see what it what's up. And honestly, it's not even that interesting. And I don't want to like get gross about it, but it ended up being pretty controversial because she has so many followers on there and she's kind of just sharing a little bit more risque than Instagram photos. And a lot of the models on OnlyFans got really, really upset, you know, diverting funds to someone who's already rich rather than them who are trying to make a living. And yeah. and so lately she like posts other people's OnlyFans stuff because I think she just got guilted into it. So she'll be like, hey, check out these three models. Check out these four models, you know, and that'll be more her thing. 
a weird move. I think she's trying to fund a movie, and that's why she's doing it. Uh, I'm not shaming her for it, whatever. You know, more power to her, I guess. But I, I couldn't talk a Bella Thorne movie and not acknowledge why she's been in the news a lot here. So, oh, Of course. <laughs> Our girl. That's now three Bella Thorne movies you and I have talked about on this podcast. You should start Thorncast or something. Crown of Thorns. No, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> Every rose has its thorn. Yeah, something like that. Every film has its thorn, because every film you'll cover will have Bella Thorne. So so stupid. No, next question, though, is, you know, the old grade question, and I alluded to this before, the Rotten Tomatoes. Uh It's way too early, but the 22 critics have given this 41%, but the 264 audience members have given this 73%. Okay. So somewhat positive. Yeah, I would see this kind of, like, leveling off both in the, like, 45 to 60 range. I think the critics will be a little bit lower, but I can see the critic score coming up a little bit and audience coming down a little bit. But I think they're both, neither of those really truly surprise me. So what's your grade then? Are you going to surprise the slumberers and give this an A plus or? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, considering how harsh I was on this movie all episode long, this is going to sound surprising, but C plus. I think it's, I think it's overall not bad. I'm just frustrated by it. But I think it's good enough to keep me... Like, I will watch a third one. So I think it's not bad enough that it's scaring me away. Maybe a C-plus is a little bit strong. In the C range, like C- minus a C-plus somewhere in there where it's... Yeah, you did all right, but like it could have been better. Well, I gave the film a solid C for many of the same reasons. And, you know, mainly, like, like I've said before on this podcast, I think there's some good ideas here. I wish they were done a little bit differently. However, this is not the student that I'm calling the parents home on. The student's not failing. This student is passing the class, but they're definitely not something stellar. Not not something I'm going to come home and tell the you know the old wife about. Like, oh, how's your class? Oh, Babysitter 2 stands out for me. <laughs> I know I'm digging deep into this analogy, but kind of just attended here. I- I'm happy we got to see it. I'd rather exist than not exist. It's not one of these things, oh, they ruined the first one by having this film. I don't think that at all. But, yeah, I just wish they went in some different directions. Yeah, fair. Okay, so some of the fun questions now, now that we got the hard one out of the way. Sleeping bag. What does your Babysitter 2 or the Babysitter Killer Queen sleeping bag look like? Very difficult question. Um... While I'm thinking of this, I also want to point out how confused I was by the bunny in the locker. I was like, how did this get here? <laughs> she does not seem freaked out by it. And I was like, were her dead parents like guardian angels? Then we find out it was B. And I'm like, that makes somehow even less sense. Like, it kind of makes sense. But I'm like, this is weird. Very weird. I can tell you what I think my sleeping bag would be, as you think. Okay. Something based on the boat that they're on. You know, it's got to look, got to fit with that. Oh, what was the boat called? The boat had a really kind of like dumb sex pun name yeah i, I should have written down Damn, i don't remember I what it was too. yeah no, motorboating yeah motorboating motorboat in yeah I yeah <laughs> uh so yeah something with that font oh by the way you know who didn't come back like that kid on the the bicycle yeah the bully i love him and he didn't come back and i thought that was interesting you know i wish he was almost bullying him at school wait did he die no right no i don't think so no so yeah he should have come back i thought he was going to come back because you know there's that um it's kind of like a boat they're trying to – they eventually start it, but it's like a smaller boat, and it's called Jenny. And that he named the bike after a girl, too, in the first one. Yeah. So I thought, oh, is this his boat? And is this – we're going to get it, like his little cameo here? But nope, it was just like an 8675309 joke. 
Sure. Which was the most obvious, like, they're like, oh, this is the boat that's Jenny. I was like, oh. And, like, they you see the, the, the keypad, I was like, yeah, very odd. Like, come on, dummies. And then, like, they somebody references the song. They're like, oh, of course. But, like, as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, no, that's very clearly what it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. <laughs> so did you think of your sleeping bag yet? So this is a little bit of a thinker. It also reminds me vaguely of the movie Parasite. Did you see Parasite? I did not, but everyone tells me to see it. You should see it. I'm not going to say why, but it's a little bit of a thinker where the sleeping bag is like the top quarter or so is like a living room sort of type area. And then underneath is all of the bunker that they're in, where it's kind of like the hidden depths underneath. And I don't know if that makes any sense as a design or really thematically with the movie, but I'm thinking about all of the hidden treasures and the fact that they have sex underground and there's all the guns and the bow and arrow, not the guns, but the bow and arrow and the machete and all that like hidden stuff underground, like the multitudes contained in a bunker of sorts underground in that basement. I think it'd be kind of cool to see like what's up top, what's visible, but then all of this underground stuff that is just there below the surface ready to be tapped or used. Very complex, but sure. Yeah, I don't know that it, like, it, like, I think it's a cool design. You're like, oh yeah, Babysitter 2, like, no one would think that's a Babysitter 2. <laughs> no, but all good, all good. <laughs> well, do you have a better idea? I know that people don't always ask you, but, like, nothing is coming to my mind. So no, nothing's coming I was going to say, here. like, the motif of the boat, just, like, the motor oh, boat yeah. in on the front. Yeah, so, I mean. <laughs> I also do think, although it feels like the war paint that they don would be kind of a cool sleeping bag. But again, I don't know if that's like Native American, indigenous people's, first people's appropriation. I don't know. But yeah, I'll I, go with my weirdly complex, like illogical sleeping bag cover. That's fine. I mean, some people have said this movie is weirdly complex and illogical. So it does make more sense than you think. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> okay, you and I, well, this is a streaming film, but instead of the magical blockbuster, we're just on the magical couch six feet apart. Because the the magic doesn't cure COVID, but we're on our our magical couch, and we have this new streaming service that streams every film in existence, past and present. We don't have to pay. Well, we do. Oh, I've ruined the analogy, haven't I? Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> let's say I have a pass for the night, and it lets us, it lets us rent three movies on this magical streaming service. But only if we're doing two and getting one free. Is that the coupon? Yes. Somehow. You know, when we stream The Babysitter 2, and it's not on Netflix, it locks every other film except for two more that you can choose for the rest of the night. So it's like, stream one movie, stream two free, whatever. Pick two other movie recommendations. Okay. I'm trying to do this thematically, and I have an idea, but I don't know how to narrow it down. Because what I wanted to do first was... Actually, I want to look. Do you remember what my things for The Babysitter 1 were? I do not. I should have written that down. I'm going to look on your I mean, Instagram. Yeah, I was just going to say. <laughs> just scroll through my Instagram. So it wasn't too long ago. Uh, oh, I see it. You pick the guest and better watch out. Oh, okay, cool. So I'm trying to do something thematically here in one of two ways. I'm either trying to go the babysitter route, which I only have one, but it's a movie that I love. Or I'm trying to go horror sequels that are kind of better than the original, which I think is maybe more fruitful. I'm going to pick one of each, I think. And they're both college movies, which if you ever graduate to college, and I don't know that college slumber party really rolls off the tongue, 
like high school slumber party does. No, it's like it's something. It's got to be something with a kegger or something. College kegger, KK. Yeah, no, I don't know. But <laughs> sorry, continue. Both of these are college movies with female leads, which I think is interesting. The ones that I did not pick, which I will say, I mentioned before, the other horror sequels that I think are better than the original, Evil Dead 2, for sure. Maybe Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Like, they get kind of wacky and goofy as time goes on. And I think there was one more that I'm not picking. It's not, oh yeah, it's not exactly a sequel. It's just kind of more of the same. But VHS 2, which, do you know about the VHS movies? I do not. So they're anthology short films like five horror shorts in a 90 minute package and there's three of them the second one is the best of the three. First one's good second one i think is the best of the three and it's just short form eight to 20 minute horror shorts gathered together found footage style uh, so vhs2 i think is pretty good but the ones that i'm going to pick the sequel that i'm going to pick is a movie near and dear to my heart and to resident historian Mike Manzi's heart, is Happy Death Day to You. Uh, Mike and I both love that first one so much. Second one, not as good, but really good and really interesting and felt like it had a reason to be. And I know on his show, he has done a no, 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 part three for that, that we both want one so bad. And it seems like their game, I think they just kind of need financing. So I would say Happy Death Day to You is for sure one that I would recommend. Okay. The Makes other sense. one, and I might have talked about this on the last time, I don't know for sure, but another college age movie is a movie also with an 80s aesthetic, is the movie called The House of the Devil. Have I told you about The House of the Devil? I don't think so. The House of the Devil is a very, very slow burn horror movie about a girl, a college girl, played by Jocelyn Donahue, who I love and who I met in person. I sort of fanboyed out a little bit, but I tried to keep it cool. I'll tell that story later at some point, <laughs> maybe off air. But or I'll just tell it on air because I mean, you got nothing but time. So very quickly, I love this movie, The House of the Devil. She plays a college girl who accepts a babysitting job, goes to the house. There's no baby. Things are weird, but she's like, I really need the money. And things go weird from there, right? It's a slow burn horror movie. It's great. So while I'm living in Austin, I go to South By. She's in another movie called The Frontier, which is like a modern Western noir. And I... I'm at South by and I, I'm like, I'm going to go see this movie. I'm sitting next to these two dudes and they're like, Oh, Hey, you know, we're, you know, we're producers on the movie. Like just two guys, like a couple years older than me, like maybe our age now, right. This is like five years ago. And I was like, Oh, okay. And they're like, why are you here? I was like, you know, actually, because you know, I saw house of the devil and I thought Jocelyn was so great that like, I just will see her in anything now. They're like, Oh, she's sitting right behind us. And oh I was my like, God. What? And so I turn around, she's there, and they're like, oh yeah, like when she walks by, like we'll introduce you. And so she goes down and whatever, and she comes back up and they grab her, like Jocelyn, like this is our new friend Joey, and he's here because of, like basically like overly selling, like oh, that he's here oh, because no. of you. She, like she could not be nicer, but I was like, oh, I don't know what to say. Like I, I was like overbuilt up. I'm like, yeah, I thought you were great, and I can't wait to watch this. Like, oh, <laughs> like she was so sweet, but I was like, oh, this is like a weird, like it's like too good of a setup that I didn't know how to like. They're just like, oh yeah, and then, you know, this is our, you know, whatever. But like they over they overhyped and I was like, Oh god, like this is like this is the best intro I could have oh man, but <laughs> yeah, no. And I love that movie too. But uh yeah, she was great, she was super sweet and they were cool dudes, but yeah, I uh I would say the House of the Devil and Happy Death Day to you, two female led movies that are both great, um, two college age. They're a little bit older than the age range here, but uh I guess, you know, the older kids in this are kind of college age too, so it's all on brand, so I would say watch those too. We'll stream them all, Brian. We'll stream them all. And just side note, I feel like when you go to these festivals, like, I don't know if they'll ever happen again, but you've intrigued me because it seems like you get to talk to a lot of uh, 
producers of some great films because ha- having you like run into i think you've told stories on this podcast before about being like hey i think you should change the title or not that but you know what i mean yes yes i talked to the guy who made what i saw at the time was called safe neighborhood uh but it's now called better watch out which you and i might be covering this christmas because it is a christmas horror movie set in high school that i swear like we talked about it on the last episode i swore we did it on here before <laughs> nope. but i guess not uh, yeah, but I mean, it honestly seems like a awesome experience, and again, hopefully you get to experience that again, and we all get to experience the festival atmosphere again, because I know that we want to be safe and we want to stream this stuff, and that's great, but you are losing, and again, whatever, I don't care about the big theater companies, sorry, AMC, if you're listening, but I think you are losing something when you don't have like that festival atmosphere, because yeah, you could have like online festivals and stuff or like streaming festivals but you know like these one-to-one interactions are sound pretty cool so hopefully one day we live in a world with vaccines and safety where we could have festivals again where you can have an interaction like you had despite those guys blowing up your spot a little bit yeah i mean it's great because especially at these like smaller not smaller festivals but movies or festivals with smaller movies like it gives these people the opportunity to kind of feel like rock stars, but they're just sort of normal people. Like they don't have, I mean, I'm sure that there are some, but like they're not disaffected by Hollywood in a way that is like off-putting. Like I was telling before that there is one girl from Parks of Being a Wallflower that I saw in a movie at Fantastic Fest. And I like just saw her sitting alone. I was like, Hey, I just saw you. Like you were great. And she's like, Oh my God. Thank-. Like, But like, they're just, they're normal people, but they were just in a movie and just the access to these people is super cool. Yeah. Like, Film festivals are great. It just, you know, I'm not going to sit in a movie theater anytime soon, so it's a bummer. Hopefully one day, hopefully one day we can return to normalcy. <laughs> On that somber and sad note, Joey, <laughs> is there anything you'd like to plug or if you just want to tell people where they can follow you and find you? Yes, well, Hanks for the Memories is winding down. Go to cageclub.me slash bracket in October sometime which is, should be in a couple weeks, I think, if I have my calendars right, to vote on the Woody's, the Tom Hanks Awards. But every Tuesday, every Friday, check out Too Fast, Too Forever, the podcast I do with Joe, too, the resident lifetime expert. I don't know if he told you this. I'm assuming not, because I imagine he would have messaged you in a thread with me. But we are covering, here's a hint, a spoiler for our show. I don't remember the name of the movie. Also, that would be a spoiler for what it's about, because every Lifetime movie is named after a thing. But we're doing a Lifetime movie this lap in our memory loss lap that he really wants to have you on for, because it's not a high school movie, but he now sees you as, like, a podcasting Lifetime movie expert. So uh, not only are you going to be on for one of the other movies that you sponsored this lap, but he wants to have you on for something coming up in the near-ish future. So, you know, in the next... Between now and the end of the year, I think you'll be on the show twice. One for a movie that you picked, and one for a movie that you and I have never seen or heard of before and that Joe only found because he was looking for lifetime movies about memory loss. He's like, I think it's called like the wives or wife he forgot or something. It's it's a crazy title. Wow. But I'm not on again for another memory loss one, right? Oh, you were already on one. Yeah. Right. For dude, where's my car? And then I got, I forgot. I thought, I thought the one that we had to reschedule for a reason that never actually panned out was your first, but no, you're going to, so you're going to be on one more through the end of the year. Yeah. Okay. yeah I don't remember when, but, uh, All good. Yeah, yeah definitely. That's, that's Sign up me up. I mean, I love talking those Lifetime films with Joe. Uh, that sounds fun. Um, you know, I've been happy to be a patron. I think 
did you guys mention put the schedule on the Patreon? We have next year's schedule. We have laps eight, nine, and ten. But so uh, too fast. Maybe too that's where I saw that you were doing the lifetime film. I was like, oh, this is intriguing, but I didn't get the invite till now. So appreciate. Oh that. no, no, we didn't. No, we, we haven't announced that anywhere yet. We teased on a recent episode. You might have heard where I was like, Joe is screening a movie that like I think we bleeped something out that was on brand for him. But no, we haven't put that anywhere yet. So. Yeah, I don't remember when that's going to be, but just stay tuned. Mostly that podcast is about the Fast and Furious movies, but also sometimes, more often than not, not about those, right? So this lap, Michelle Rodriguez movies and movies about memory loss. So check it out. Do we know what the next lap theme is? Yes, you do. As a patron, you've put your pick in, but I'm not going to announce that here. I put my pick in already? I think so. Didn't you? Hold on. Let me check I don't this. think so, because... I know I looked at an overall thing one day, but I don't think I put any picks in. So we announced to our patrons the laps 8, 9, and 10 themes. No, you did not do your picks yet. Okay. No. I thought you did. We've only got we've gotten them from three people, but the other five who have those that, that perk level, we have not heard from yet. So you've right, you got so. time. I mean, it's going to start in January, I think. Lap 8 will start in January, because we're on this whole lap with Nico and Kevo, and they keep adding things. So... Yeah, we're going to run this one, I think, through New Year's or so, and then lap eight starts early next year. So you'll be on at some point again, and you'll have to give us your recommendations for the next three laps. Looking forward to it. I mean, uh, I'll probably do it one by one. I don't want to. I have to give it all three laps recommendations right now? No, you don't have to. I mean, other people did. Past guest of this show, Christian Larson, did. No, I, I, I like waiting till, you know, lap by lap, just in case new movies come out, tastes change. Uh, but I'm very curious. I'm going to go on to Patreon now. So, guys, you know, if you want to be a patron of that show, go ahead. <laughs> find it. You know, I don't have a Patreon. If you love High School Slumber Party so much that you wish Brian had a Patreon, just support me and support Joe, too. And we'll just have Brian on. Like, if you go to the $10 a month tier, we'll have Brian on all the episodes you pick. So, Shawnee, talking to you. If you support a show that I don't think you listen to at $10 a month, you get to pick a movie per lap for a theme that you get to select, and Brian will be on all those episodes. I know that you're only here for Brian, and maybe also a little bit of Mike Manzi, but we will have you, every one of your picks, we will have Brian on for that. Just putting that out there. Any of your listeners, it's a Too Fast, Too Forever special. <laughs> if anybody comes, tell me that Brian sent you, and we'll have Brian on all those episodes. And I know that gives you more work, but I feel like, you know, it, hey. it, it makes sense in a, in a weird kind of roundabout way. It's special. It's fun. And by the way, I don't think Shawnee's listening today. She's not a fan of gore and horror. So probably skipping this week. Uh, <laughs> but if she's not, shout out Shawnee. Shout out anyone else who's listening. Maybe someone who has the synergy. Uh, maybe maybe there's one person who likes both these shows. I don't know what our crossover is. We've discussed it in the past. But, but ho- hopefully... You know, hopefully now they've listened to you enough on this show to be like, I want more from Joey Lewandowski, and I want it to be about cars, attractive women, and strong, powerful, you know. Uh, muscly dudes. Muscly dudes and, and role models of both genders. Yeah, all genders. All genders. All right, so thank you so much, Joey. It was a pleasure. Did you say where people can follow you? I, I don't remember. I'm at Soul Popped just about everywhere, but just go to two, just go to cageclub.me slash Joey, and you can find everything out you want to know about me in a bio written by Joe too. Awesome. Really appreciate it. Thank you. And we'll talk in October. That's for sure. Cool. Always great to have the godfather of the cage club podcast, 
Network. Joey Lewandowski on. Always good to have him on for these kind of films because he's a new film guy. Yes, he likes the classics. We all do. But you need some new films thrown in there. And that's what I love about this podcast. We get to cover new films, old films, all kinds of films. And Joey's a big proponent of the new. So thank you, Joey, as always, for making this show a better place when you stop by. Now, we're going to go from a film that anyone with Netflix can see at pretty much any moment to a film that, I'm sorry, is out of print, and it's very hard to see. The film is called Nowhere by Greg Araki. I take my camera with me wherever I go, trying to find my soulmate. I know there's got to be somebody out there somewhere. Isn't that just so bitchin'? What's your name? I have to rot my life away in a nine-to-five hellhole to support your lazy, juvenile, delinquent... Shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up! I'm not brown cow. Cowboy. Oh, my God. Let the love feast begin. Sometimes I feel so old-fashioned. There's got to be somebody out there somewhere who can hold me in their arms and tell me everything's going to be okay. Fine Line Features presents the new movie from Greg Araki, director of The Living End and The Doom Generation. LA is like nowhere. Everybody who lives here is lost. Do you know what today is? It's Armageddon Day, the day the world's supposed to end. Have I ever told you that I love you? Life is so complicated. James Duvall, Christina Applegate, Nathan Bexton, Rachel True, Jason Simmons, Kathleen Robertson, Jeremy Jordan, Heather Graham, Tracy Lords, and John Ritter. It's been a gnarly day. Nowhere. But doesn't that make you feel so much better? Whatever. So this movie was suggested to us by Galen Howard. You might remember Galen from our episode on Society. What a fucked up film that was. Well, this one, mm. <laughs> it's kind of in the same vein. It's not the same kind of movie, but it's an important film. I actually enjoyed watching it. And our other guest will be the person who was also on the Society episode, one of the most tenured guests on High School Slumber Party, probably the most tenured guest all time, and that's Mike Manzi. So Galen Howard and Mike Manzi next Monday, the Monday coming up. I can't wait. And that's going to be your homework to try to track down nowhere. And honestly, if you can't track it down because it's really, really hard, hopefully you've seen it already, but if you haven't, just read the Wikipedia article. That'll just bring you up to speed. I'm going to give you a little cheat. Those are the cliff notes for this week. So, yeah. Consider that a favor on your homework. But if you can track it down, I highly recommend seeing it. That's for sure. It's a very, very weird movie. It's a very different movie, a very important movie. So can't wait to talk about it on Monday. That's going to be fun. And by the way, I might have mentioned our upcoming schedule. I might not have, but we had to shake it up a little. Couldn't get all the guests at the days and times that I wanted to, but we'll get them on. Also, truth be told, I'm having some computer issues. Some episodes are in the ether right now as my laptop's being repaired but they've promised me that they could save everything that's on it so don't fret i have all the episodes that you don't even know about shouldn't have even told you about that but 
I'm oversharing right now. That's what we do when it gets late on a Friday night and we've curled up into our sleeping bags. And we're getting a little tired and it's time to go to bed. We overshare. I'm sure we've all overshared back in our day. Thank you so much for listening, guys. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Joey, once again. And remember, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop to look around once in a while, you could miss it. Let's go to bed with 8675309. Tommy Two-Tone, Jenny. Later, dudes.